you are, who the hell Brandon is. Did that present problems or, or opportunities for you to grow? 100%. Honestly, like, I didn't want to be Asian. What's going on, guys? And welcome back to the Shifty Q podcast with Alan Kay. Today's episode, I get to interview one of my best friends, Brandon Thamavog, whose spiritual journey began in Westminster, Colorado, where he was a server and a bartender. Since then, he has now moved to Las Vegas, where he's a server and bartender in one of the most prestigious nightclubs in all of the world, which is Zook Las Vegas, that sits on top of the beautiful Hilton Resorts World uh, whew, one of the more amazing hotels that are now on the strip. His experience in the Vegas industry nightlife has given the opportunity to rub elbows with some of the most prestigious names in the entire world. And his experience with interacting with them and even mentoring them has led to him starting his business, which is Zenergy Life Coaching, which uh, I must say has some of the best workout t-shirts I ever have. Almost as good as my Shifty Q workout shirts. Just kidding. But Brandon, thank you so much uh, for joining me on this. And uh, real quick, let's just get into this. So you are a life coach. Like I said, you started Zenergy. And I feel like life coaching is one of the more brand new industries that's starting to emerge. And with any new emergence of any new industry where people really don't know too much about it or what the purpose of it is, there is what I would say a lot of doubters and haters to that industry. Now, with that being said, for you, Brandon, how would you describe to someone who would doubt life coaching? What is life coaching? And then can you talk a little bit about what life coaching means for you? For sure. Thank you, Alan. Uh, first, I want to say thank you for that warm introduction. That was awesome. Really awesome to to hear how far I've come as a person and, you know, just focusing on self-growth, self-development in the last, you know, five, six years has been really big life changing for me. So either way, thank you for that. And by the way, my company is North Stars Energy. That is the full name. Um, and to anybody to correct, if you're looking for me, North Stars Energy. All right. So anyways, for the life coaching, life coaching is probably one of the most powerful things I've ever experienced and I've ever really got into with with my company, my brand. Right. I help men and women develop their confidence muscles to live an abundant and joyful life based through mindful practice, spiritual practice and Buddhist techniques. Now, when it comes to life coaching, what I've noticed is that a lot of us are already seeking subconscious life coaching with our friends, with our family, right? And and we don't know it. Mm-hmm. You know, you call somebody, you go through a breakup and you, let's say I call you Alan and I'm like, Alan, I'm going through this fucking breakup. I've been with this girl for five years and I don't know what to do, but you have never been in a relationship and you give me advice. You give me life coaching on this on this circumstance that you've never been through Mm -hmm. and it's turning into shitty life coaching advice or just shitty advice. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and and we don't realize this in in our world, in our society, that this happens on a regular basis where we confide in people that don't have the expertise or the skills or the wisdom to help us. And now that we have this, you can say that it's definitely starting to trend life coaching, right? And spiritual mm-hmm. growth, spiritual development, self-growth, self-development is starting to trend right now. And when it, when you really want to get somewhere, let's say you want to play basketball, you're going to hire a basketball coach, right? If you want right. to play professional football, you're going to hire a football coach. You want to become a dancer, you're going to hire a choreographer. And if you want to succeed in business, you're going to hire a business coach. If you want to live a peaceful and happy life, you're going to hire a fucking life coach. Period. End of story. Right. So, so if I were to summarize what you're what you're saying about life coaching, what you offer are is a perspective of experiences that you've been able to experience yourself, and based off of that experience, based off of what you've learned from that experience, not only about the experience itself, but about yourself, you share that kind of experience and that kind of knowledge with people that have similar adversities and similar situations that they go through. Right. Is that exactly. Uh, right? Exactly. And exactly I, I do cool. want 
I want to emphasize real quickly because you brought up something that really just got me going, which is people that are giving advice about like five-year relationships that have never been in a five-year relationship or people that, you know, what I see on social media are trends where people give this entire life perspective of what you should be doing, but it's like a 12-year-old kid that doesn't have to do anything that's going on. Um, and so I, I really do appreciate the fact that you made a distinction between what quality life coaching is and life coaching is what people would only be right to say this is dumb, right? In your experience and your conviction of your message, where do you feel like your inspiration for doing so has come from? Well, I think you have to backtrack a little bit for where my inspiration came from because it starts from the hospitality industry, being a server and being a bartender my entire life. Anybody that has been a server, has been a bartender, has worked in the hospitality industry, we all have a general understanding or at least a general belief that we don't want to be here forever. And mm -hmm. that led me to really start searching for other revenues and streams of income, you know, before I started North Stars Energy. And I was looking into real estate. I was looking into selling life insurance. I was looking to pretty much every possible thing that I could do. And I didn't realize that I had been coaching and helping people through relationships my entire life until I was on the phone with, you know, my best friend, Tommy one day, and I'm talking to him about, you know, exploring real estate, exploring life coaching. And he says, you know what, man, like, have you ever thought about being a life coach? And I was like, fuck no. What are you talking about, dude? And I'm like, why? And he goes, man, you've been helping me through my problems for like the last fucking two years. We've been talking on the phone like every single week. And you've been like literally just helping me through everything. You've changed my life. And mm. I was like, and I was like, oh, shit, man, you, I think you're right. Um, and it's all based on my perspective and, and helping him through his own adversity and helping him shift and reframe a lot of his thoughts and his beliefs and his conditioning. Mm. And I was like, all right, let me, let me just try this out. Right. And, and so I Googled life coaching in Las Vegas. I found the first guy mentor and I said, fuck it, let's go. I signed up with them and here we are. Right. And I think the biggest inspiration is just that I had constantly been putting myself through so much hardship and so much adversity. Most of it was out of my control, but after a while I start to face fear and confront all of the resistance mm. and the uneasy emotions now, because I understand that if I can push myself as a person to conquer all of my fears and to conquer everybody else's fears, I can teach that. And, mm. and that inspiration just comes from wanting to be better every day for myself. And, and then I want to share that because it feels so damn good that how can I not share this? How can I not make you feel amazing with your life if I've already done it, right? And that's where the inspiration is. I just want to help. I just want to serve. I want to change people's lives. And it feels so good to hear somebody say, man, like, I don't know what if I would, what I would have done without you. Yeah, yeah, it's really validating to work with others and elevate them into a higher version of themselves and you knowing that you're the catalyst to that transformation i think is absolutely amazing man i um want to backtrack real quick because you spoke about a lot of things that i view as the root of a lot of people's problems which is just their perspective and how they're conditioned to handle that perspective you know like a lot of a lot of um like for me right now I am going into uh, training for a competition. So I'm leaning out really quickly. My aesthetics are just happening naturally. You know the process of, of competing. And so, so many people always ask me, what, like, how, do I, how do I get to working out? How do I do this? And I provide, if I provide them an option or uh, a way, they'll just be like, oh, I can't do that. That's way too hard. Whatever. Like, is it really too hard? Or are you conditioning yourself that it's way too hard? And what I see a lot of now, and let me know if you agree with this, I see a lot of people going through shit. And like you said, a lot of it's uncontrollable. But how we handle the uncontrollable, 
how we respond to the uncontrollable is completely on to us. And that depends on our perspective. Now, for you, do you feel like the majority of people have a positive respect or positive perspective that enables them into better action? Or do you feel like right now there's more negative that actually is consuming people into like does depression and anxiety? Like if you had to pick one or the other, which one would you say the world is more filled with right now? Even though spirituality, self-growth, self-development and entrepreneurship is trending right now, I think. I think a majority of our population is always going to go towards that non-action stage. Mm. Can you can you describe that non-action stage? We let, let me let me see. There's there's so many different ways that we can approach this and talk about this, but I really think that the main thing is just is based on a lot of societal conditioning on what we've been raised with and what we've been raised to believe how to be successful and and how the system essentially works right now let's let's not go into that conversation because that's a whole thing but <laughs> when it comes down to i want to get in shape or i want to start eating healthier you know these options aren't as readily available they're not they're not convenient for us our our society isn't convenient for us to be in shape Right. Our society, mm. our American culture isn't convenience, isn't convenient for us to be entrepreneurs. Right. It's convenient to work a nine to five job and to go out and get fucked up on the weekends. That's what's convenient. Mm. It's convenient to go to McDonald's and eat twenty dollars worth of shit that's gonna make you feel bloated and leads you to inaction and laziness. Right. And that's why I really do think that a majority of our society Toward, goes towards that non-action because it's it's essentially easier to do nothing than to push yourself past this position of uncomfortableness. The ego wants to stay comfortable. It wants to stay safe, right? And when we challenge ourselves, we challenge that ego, there's going to be that resistance. There's going to be that voice in the back of our head that says, you don't need to do that. And that also stems from the environment we put ourselves in, Right. Right. So yeah, you, you emphasize two really big things and you just hit it right at the end, which is your ego and overcoming your ego and then putting your environment into perspective. Brandon, I'm going to ask you something personal here, but can you talk about maybe one of the, the, maybe one circumstance in your life that would be really helpful for other people where you faced your ego, you had to overcome your ego. And that put everything into perspective on how something may or may not change just based off of overcoming that. Right. I think, I think one of the biggest things that I had to face was my self identity with my, my ethnicity. And okay. Right. And this is, this is a really big one because I grew up as a, you know, first generation Asian American, meaning that I'm the first of my family to be born in America. My family is from Laos and Laos isn't the most wealthy country. It's actually a very poor country. And growing up in American culture with Asian culture as your roots, as your foundation, you're very confused. And you don't know what to believe. You don't know what's your ego. You don't know what's your roots. You don't know what you want to do. And, and you grow up in this environment with Americans and all these other races. And you can't help but start to feel marginalized and left out because we are so different, right? Asians are you. There's Asians. I think Asians and black, you know, we, we really have really distinct differences between other races as far as you know like our eyes and our smaller um body structures and stuff like that and deep intelligence and i think i saw this on um a new york times magazine where it says that let me, let me try to think of what it, what it said um it said that asians asian americans are industrious but don't have interpersonal skills and charm Hmm. How recent was that? I think that was pretty recent. I think that it, I think it was like a month ago. Um, what? But 
Wow. Right. But you know what? As I as I thought about this, like it's true. Because and I was like, why is this true? Okay. And I realized that the way that I grew up, right? If you're growing up as a first generation Asian American and your parents are working nine to fives, they're gone all day long, maybe even all night long, working shifts to pay for the family. I had a family of eight in my household when I was growing up. Mm. And my mom was the only one paying the bills. My grandpa too, a little bit, but you know, he's, he's old. He was older, didn't have a um, steady job like my mom did. So my mom is paying for, you know, everything under this house. And she's not raising me. My grandparents are raising me and my grandparents don't speak English. And I'm going to school in a place where they all speak English and then coming home to speak Laos, to learn Laos culture and to be raised with Laos culture. And then I go to school and I see these Americans living a certain way, breathing a certain way, talking a certain way. And I don't know what I don't know what to do. Right. And we don't know how to communicate. We don't know what to believe. We don't have the right guidance. And now it's essentially a free for all. Raise and teach yourself based on your circumstance. Mm. Right. And it, it's actually really crazy that I'm talking about this because I actually just came to this realization not too long ago when I went back to Colorado um, two weeks ago. And it's just like. No wonder I struggled with finances. No wonder I struggled with career. No wonder I struggled with relationships because I've never had guidance on what to do, what not to do and how to do it. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I can imagine that if you grew up in that kind of atmosphere, right, where you don't know your identity, you can't distinguish the different cultures. Like how else would you know any different unless other than teaching yourself and not like like we spoke about convenience earlier. It's a lot easier just to not be able to do that and to stay within your cubby and not actually expound out. Which is what, what most people do. Right. But what I find what I find what I have an issue with, though is the fact that we're still experiencing public, I don't want to say outcry, but, but but definitely public defamation of Asian people as a whole that's still being accepted, right? Like if you were to, if you were to take, right, that same times, like article, cover, everything, and you were to say that about black people, you were to say that about Mexican people, you were to say it about anything else, it would be fucking whatever. But I think that is part of the marginalism that you spoke about with our Asian experience. Now, you spoke about it from that aspect. Like, for you, having those cultural differences, did that affect your childhood at all? Did that affect your identity? Like, with not not with only, like, the, the, the cultural and the ethnicity, but, like, just who you are, who the hell Brandon is. Did that present problems or, or opportunities for you to grow 100 percent. honestly like i didn't want to be asian growing up i i didn't and as i got older it got worse because you know i would go to you know i was a big party kid and i remember one of my best friends he went to college in boulder at cu cu boulder and man, like, and even, even before the college parties, you know, we would party in like more of the, the white areas in, um, in Colorado, like Stanley Lake high school. And like, um, some of these other high schools that were predominantly white. And I remember I was David's best friend. David was Asian too. And, you know, he would say things to me like, Hey, don't invite this person because they don't want this many Asians there. And, and, th and he, this would go on for years, man, from the point I was like 17 years old, all the way until I was partying 23 years old in college. And, and it was the same thing, even in CU Boulder, it was just like, don't invite these guys because they don't want a lot of Asians there. And I was just like, what the fuck is wrong with being Asian? You know what I mean? And it just, it didn't make any sense to me, but it made sense to me. It just, I don't know. And it, and it really affected my, my identity growing up because during those ages of like, you know, 14 all the way to 22 23 i didn't want to be asian and i was i was essentially whitewashing myself and what happened was you know it just it you tune into a lot of your vices at those points right which is for me was heart drugs alcohol and binge eating fast food mm. but it definitely it definitely took a really really big a really long time for me to heal from that 
and to accept that I am Asian, I'm here, I'm Laos, and I have pride in it, you know, and I'm very grateful that I'm here accepting myself. Self-acceptance has been one of the biggest things that I battled when I was in my younger years. Ooh, self-acceptance. Yeah, that was strong. I You presented a situation that I see regularly now, with, especially with our generation of Asian Americans and Asian Americans specifically, because what you just highlighted with regards to the social setting, if you wanted to assimilate to a white culture, which the majority of America is, let's be realistic. And we are American, regardless of what our original or, you know, origin of ethnicity, oh, it doesn't matter. We're still all American. So if you want to go to any normal setting in your home country, like there is a prejudice, there is a, a margin, like you can't be Asian because of this, and, but Asian Americans were fed that so much that we also tend to deny ourselves. And that feeling of knowing that you are somehow resisting something that you identify with definitely puts a lot of us into a situation where we have a misguided identity. And just like what you said, self-acceptance becomes so challenging. To me this day, I still go to a lot of social events and particularly uh, home home poker games that we've spoke about before. And some of these settings have some of the most rich, distinguished people I've ever met. And it's interesting on how there will be like a 65-year-old distinguished business Asian man, Bob, whatever. But then he'll have one small hiccup of a comment in a social setting or someone doesn't laugh or something where you could tell he's reaching for external validation and immediately apologizes and blames him for being Asian. Oh, I'm sorry. It's because I'm Asian, guys. Sorry. It's because I'm Asian. It's crazy on how I see that still. And it is a, it is a form and it is a common form of self-deprecation amongst Asian people. And that's something that I really appreciate that you spoke about. And that's something for me that I've been able to come. Now, for you, what are some of the things that you did to self-accept and then also overcome some of this self-animus, so to speak? Before I answer that question, I just I was working at the club last night and there was this guy that was like, hey, man, were you working the banquet earlier? And I was, my first response was, hey, man, that's the wrong Asian. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And I make that yeah. joke a lot, but, but I do it with like pride because it's actually funny because I actually do think a lot of Asians look alike because of our facial features. Um, but I can see how, you know, a lot of people go into that external validation or that self-deprecating stage where they just subconsciously beat on themselves or, constantly, mm -hmm. or they're subconsciously downplaying or negative self-talking themselves. So I see that. And I wanted to validate that statement that you said as far as your observation. But anyways, mm -hmm. you know, overcoming the stigma and, and the outlets that I've used, we're working out. Um, working out was a huge outlet for me. Um, the real challenge for me, I think, was with my identity was, you know, stopping the constant consumption of hard drugs and alcohol and then also mm. binge eating fast food. Um, I went through a really hard breakup in 2016. I was head over heels for this chick. I was insecure. I projected so many insecurities, insecurities in our relationship and it was, it was all bad. Um, she left me and I decided that I was going to turn my life around. And I started looking from within with my own self-confidence and my own mm. self-acceptance. And so I went sober for four months. I got the six pack for the first time. I got certified as a personal trainer. Um, I started modeling, fitness modeling and stuff like that. And that's when I really started to see the power of space from these buffers, these distractions, these things that I've been numbing myself with um, based wow. on the lack of self-identity and self-acceptance that I had. Wow. That is so strong. I, I wonder, I, I think you harped on something that we don't speak enough of, right? Because... We talk about a lot of substance abuse. We talk about a lot of default behavior. You know, we, we usually try to say, oh, it's because this person broke up with them or it's because this person went broke or it's because this person lost their job. But what you just said was so strong because it's sometimes 
it's not a loss of anything, but rather than a loss of identity, which you never actually had to begin with because you actually didn't know who the hell you are. And I feel like these opportunity, these moments, these breakups, these hardships, anytime we get presented with an opportunity that makes our heart fucking break or shatters us and makes us feel that we're insignificant is an actual opportunity to reflect. Why am I feeling insignificant right now? And why is it that I allowed some outside entity to make me feel insignificant? And that's how you could build yourself and build brand new. And I feel like that's a lot of the reason why you're fucking yoked to shit right now. That's a lot of the reason why I got myself into, into uh, fitness and into this journey. And I think seeing things like a six pack, you know, you finally like, I, I don't know what your relationship with a six pack is, but when you spoke about having a six pack for me, I barely had a six pack you know, last year was the first time I had a distinguished one. I've had, I've been ripped before, but last year was the first time I had a fucking nice set of abs. And it's not about the abs that I absolutely appreciated. Ah, But what I really did love about the abs, it was an entity that I originally didn't think I was good enough to attain or achieve or ever be disciplined enough to do so. And kind of a lot like what you said about being four months sober and abstaining yourself from uh, any of these extracurricular activities that you would default to, to suppress a lot of these emotions. For me, just going after the fact that I could achieve something that I wasn't good enough for expounded so many different ways in my life. And it's like, holy crap. Now, like, you know, for me professionally, I'm doing so much better financially. I'm doing my personal relationships a bit better. It's all because of this mindset of approaching, Hey, I actually can, but I just self-defeated myself all the way until now. Now for you, with that being, yeah, with that being said, like there's still a lot of with the self-identity. And I feel like a lot of the problems right now, it's not only a lack there of self-identity, but a lot of lack there of social intimacy, a lot of social connection, and particularly dating. Now, when you started your life coaching, because I've known you, me and Brandon are boys, by the way, for all my listeners. I've known Brandon since I decided to pursue life coaching as well. One of the one of the pursuits that Brandon had, because he was he's was in a very healthy relationship by the time, and even the breakup was very healthy, in my opinion. I've never seen it before. And the relationship advice he's ever given me has been amazing. So for you, what do you feel is causing the misdaggerness, so to speak, and the contrast of what people want and what's happening within the dating world? And why do you think it's holding men back into a really depressed state? Can you reframe that question? All right. So I feel like right now the dating game has changed and is presenting a lot more challenges for men than it ever has before. Right. In your experience as a coach that works with men with these kind of problems, what would you say are some of the biggest attributes for men feeling like they have in recent past? I think a really big part of this is how women are conditioned in society and how dating has been in our society. I think, I think there's so many circumstances that affect this. Okay. I think one of the biggest ones is how a majority of men have acted in a lot of relationships, right? And the lack of vulnerability, the lack of emotional intelligence and the lack of awareness that a majority of men have and women in relationships creates so many disturbances and so much interference and turbulence and it creates so many negative perceptions on men or on women and now in this dating world we see that a lot of people are conditioned to automatically assume the worst intentions from the Mm. other person when being approached or when being asked to go on a date um and it's it's really difficult to date nowadays because of the way that we've been conditioned as a society growing up and and being raised and, and just how dating is, you know, like you, with dating, you have lust, you have friends with benefits, you have one night stands, you have actual relationships, you have marriage, you have people that, you know, experience infidelity. And there's Mm -hmm. so many factors to it. 
there's so many inconsistencies to it. So it's, it's not really as black and white, you know what I mean? Right. I, I think that's what you just highlighted right there is the inconsistencies because we as people love consistencies. We hate being taken out of routine. And, but I feel like there's a lot of um, just disconnect in expectation versus reality because I feel like a lot of us are raised in the Disney Channel era or the Disney movie era where the Prince Charming, Sleeping Beauty, Happily Ever After. But what you highlighted is very just human behavior, which is monogamy, non-monogamy, polyamory, a whole nine yards of things. And then I know it's starting to get popularized. But I still don't think there's an issue with still wanting a traditional relationship as we've been raised to do so. You know, and I think that there's definitely a, I don't, I, man, I don't know how to put this in words because I don't know. I, I, I feel like that's still one of the questions that we're still answering right now. What the fuck is dating? What should it be? What shouldn't it be? It shouldn't be anything at all. You know, I, I could just tell you for me, I, I've experienced everything from one night stands to casually dating, to being serious relationships, to being married at one point. And I can't tell you, all of them were good. They're great because not only, uh, yeah, sure, they didn't last, but who I am now and how I've grown from that is just better. So I would say that my dating life has always been successful, you know, and things like that. But I feel like a lot of people are just so set on, I need to find this right. Then we're going to live happily ever after. And then when everybody puts their eggs in a basket and it doesn't work out, it's like, ah, my identity, ah. you know, it's just, right. you know, I feel that. And I feel that. And you know what, what's interesting about that, Alan, is, is for you and I, man, we've, we've had successful dating and we've had a successful love life for the, you know, how long we've lived. Mm -hmm. But there's a majority of people that have never experienced even a step of what we've experienced. Mm -hmm. And, and that's also where it becomes even more difficult to talk about this dating, if you will, because there's people that have never even been on a date and they're 35, 40 years old. Okay. So, all right. So now what would you say for you? What do you, what would you say as provided you those exceptional opportunities to have a healthy dating life and something that's what other people would view as an exception and an extravagant exception for that matter. Extravagant exception in what? In, in that matter, just saying that like what you just said, right? Like we've had pretty exceptional dating lives that other people would, would just say whatever. So for you, even though we have these stereotypes of Asian man, blah, 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 blah. What do you think is it about you that, overcomes these stereotypes, overcomes the marginalism, and has allowed you to still be a sexy piece of ass on the dating market. <laughs> I think one of the biggest things that I've learned that really has helped me excel with my self-confidence and my self-esteem is, is really not giving a shit what anybody thinks about me. And just oh, doing the fucking thing. Like if I say I'm going to do something like I just started reading, I read the four agreements, I think last month and that book aligned with me so heavily. And the number, number one agreement is, um, be impeccable with your word. And I talked to you about this. I talked to all my clients about this. I talked to all my, anybody that talks to me, I talked to you about this is, is staying in alignment with your, with what you say you're going to do is so important mm. because if I say I'm going to get in shape and then I don't, I'm going to feel like absolute shit. I'm going to feel like everybody's judging me. Well, they fucking are because you said you were going to do something. You didn't fucking deliver it. And that's where it comes down to. You have to be fucking impeccable with your word because if I say I'm going to do something and I do it, what is that going to do? It's going to lead to good fucking feelings. It's going to lead to some positive momentum and I'm going to start changing and I'm going to start feeling good. So you really just have to, do what you're going to do and dismiss anything else that anybody's thinking or saying about you. That's up. So, so pretty much just hone in and focus on yourself and don't give a fuck about what other people think about you. Exactly. And if you have to experience that in solitude and isolate yourself from all these friends you fucking grew up with, then that's what you have to do. If you have to take yourself out of the situation of this shitty family you grew up in, or even a good family, like there's, there's, 
the environment, again, like we're talking about, the environment of people that we surround ourselves in biases and conditions our our abilities, our beliefs and abilities to accomplish something. And if people are subconsciously holding you back and making you feel less than and making you feel like you can't accomplish your goals or that the fact you can't even start taking action towards your goals, you need to put yourself in a different situation, a different environment, a different social environment, right? Right. I would also say it would also start with first at a different mental environment, right? Because if you're still going to other environments to change your perspective, you're still being manipulated by external factors in some dynamic. For sure. For now, sure. Now, mind you, there is something to be said about you have that understanding, but you're in a environment where you constantly resist your environment. So therefore, it's kind of taking away the space that you could potentially create for yourself to have that kind of tolerance. But there are definitely. Um, yeah, there, there has to be more on that. Um, all right. So we talk about these dating challenges. But, all right. So outside of let's just say look for yourself. Right. That's kind of abstract. Let's say, hey. Uh, let's look within yourself, stop being validated by everybody else to start doing on the dating market. So let's say I was an Asian man, never dated 35. You say, look within yourself. Cool. I'm looking within myself. Hey, Brandon, I looked within myself. Are there any, any like, just say real basic concrete actions that we should, that every man can do without looking too far in himself first? I love this. This is perfect because this is exactly what I deal with, with every single client that I have. And the reason why is because vulnerability is so fucking hard for all of these guys that don't understand their emotions, right? And as somebody that's grown up bullied and, you know, feeling left out and essentially like a black sheep in my family and friends, I was forced to use my emotions as a tool, as a best friend, if you will, and, and really help me excel forward with my emotions and with my feelings, my intuition, mm -hmm. essentially, right? So here's here's the thing is, is confidence comes from within, right? Confidence comes from change and change starts within the home. Now, when you want to change, it's so much easier to change everybody else and everything else and it's really hard to change ourselves. Mm. Right? That was said by one of the Dalai Lamas. Now, what I found working with my clients, and this is obviously through my own life experience, is it's really fucking hard to dive deep into yourself, into your subconscious mind, into your conditioning. It's really heavy, too. You're going to find some deep shit that you're not going to like, that you don't want to face. And uh, again, all of my clients have experienced this. So what do we do? Right? We start with the physical world with the tangible world with what we can touch right so something i teach my clients is the power of feng shui creating decluttering and reorganizing your home for confidence reorganizing your space like you know i've told you this i've taught you this is reorganizing and decluttering your your space for growth for expansion and the first way you do that is by decluttering and getting rid of all this shit that you're attached to, right? Yeah. If that's a if, if this if this cup was from 2001, and my ex gave it to me, why the fuck do I still have this? Right? Let go. If you can't let go physically, you will never let go emotionally. Right? That's the mm. biggest. I had I had a T-shirt. It was a flannel flannel button down from one of my exes and my high school sweetheart. I dated her every year in high school, and I kept it until i don't know two years ago three yeah. years two or three years ago and i was like yeah and i was still with my ex ashley at the time and i looked at it and i was like i still have this fucking shirt i need to let go of it and and that was that first step of change that really started to or i started to be mindful and be aware that oh shit like i'm literally moving past this physically and now emotionally i'm it's gone not 100 yeah. but so I, I started to dive deeper into that and i was like huh that felt really good what if i did it with my entire closet and that's what i did i went through my whole closet and i i grabbed all these shirts that didn't make me feel confident didn't make me feel good that didn't complement my body lines and i donated it and what did that do it opens 
you see all these empty hangers and you're like, wow, like there's so much space. There's so much room for me to think and to feel new emotions. Right. And this is, this is also another thing is like taking yourself out of that normal routine that you have. Like if you go to the same grocery store, go to a different location. If you're the person that goes in and out of the grocery store, walk around the whole aisles and enjoy your life a little bit, right? Put yourself in a new environment or put yourself in the same environment with a different perspective, with a different outlook, right? That's, I think that's the biggest thing when we're coming down to starting the inner work, starting the self-confidence and the self-esteem work is starting with the physical world and maybe not focusing on the habits yet, but focusing on where am I spending a majority of my time and how do I feel a majority of the time in this setting? Mm, I like that. I like that. And I do enjoy the fact that you brought about getting rid of effectively triggers like shirts or glasses. Right. You know, Something that's um, give you an emotional response. Right. 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 You know, one of the common things I see to piggyback that is like music, you know, music always inspires some kind of nostalgia. And while people are trying to get over their ex, they'll have a playlist or have nothing of songs that remind them about their ex. And it's like, dude, you're putting yourself in this turmoil. And that's why it's really important to understand that there's no right or wrong answer to handle something. But if what you're trying to tell yourself is you're going to get over it, your actions should probably follow. Otherwise you're going to stick, stay in this, uh, this depression. I feel like right. that's where a lot of, I feel like that's where a lot of depression starts from though. Right. It's like, you think you want to pursue something, but your actions actually say otherwise. And that distance and the lack of integrity, I would say, and lack of self-integrity is what's causing a lot of that. In your experience as a coach that's helped other people, Asian men and everything like that, find their inner selves and in dating. Are, are there any, common problems or issues or circumstances that usually provoke men into realizing they need to look within themselves first before start looking into action? Most of the times, the common things I've seen is, is there's, there's a lot of negative self-judgment based on what their physical bodies look like. And that's out of their control as far as the circumstances they've grown up in and the decisions that they've made when the, in their younger years. And then okay, there's so another one. Ooh, go ahead, real go quick, ahead. real quick, before we get into that. So you're saying a lot of it actually just comes from how we physically perceive ourselves. Exactly. Wow. Okay. So can you, can you talk about that real quickly? Right. Like, so, so like, like, think about it this way. Okay. And I, I've been, this is, this is really cool because I just, I really love how much of a confidence coach I am. And it's, it's like this podcast okay. has been really bringing to light how much I really fucking love this shit. So <laughs> like, it's cool because like, this has been my whole life, you know, like I have been insecure, a hopeless romantic and feeling worthless and less than my entire life. And now that I don't feel that way and I have the exact opposite and I have an abundant and a healthy and a loving and a compassionate mindset and lifestyle. It's, it's really, it's truly amazing. But what I would say is like, fuck, I lost it. Hold on. <laughs> I just, I, I went on to a whole little rabbit hole and lost my, my train of thought. You're good, you're <laughs> good man. You're good. You're talking about how much you love this. You're talking about how much you love the shit about how right. much you love because you used to be uh, not no, no, confident. You almost romantic. Question, <laughs> so, uh, no, I would say that in, in your line of work and when you worked with, with a lot of men that have self-confidence issues, that have dating issues, is there a particular circumstance or event or thought, like what, what usually provokes men for them to realize I need to actually look within? Right. A lot of it is hardship, for sure. Deaths, relationship breakups. And also like sometimes when we're in these cycles of depression or anxiety, we go through it year after year, month after month and realize that nothing is changing. And it just, sometimes some people will change based on the fact that, well, 
I've been here for four years and I'm even more out of shape and even more depressed. And it's probably time to do something. Sometimes people just wake up and they're just like, I think it's I think it's time to take some action because I've been sitting here doing nothing forever. And I think inaction is a really big thing that leads people to creating change or wanting to create change, but really just lack the guidance. I mean, most of the times you'll see, right? You know this. This is this is a fact. I know this for a fact because I did this myself, you did this for yourself. When people try to become more confident, their first initial reaction is to go to the gym. Right. Oh, that's what we we're talking. We were talking about the gym and physical bodies and things like that. Correct. Right. Correct. Right. right. And it's just, there's not a lot of resources that helps us learn how to build confidence internally. Mm. I, I feel like a lot of, if a lot of the work that we put in, that shows that the work pays off externally, then shows us internally that that actually is a positive measure and what we're doing is correct. You know, that's why I always despise people who make other people feel bad about their gym results, you know, because, but because it's like, oh, why are you going to brag? Why are you going to show off? Like, why can't you just be happy for me? Why can't you just be happy the fact that I put in this work, you know? And everybody has a different journey to being fit. You and I have different journeys. You know, I think what you described to me, uh, and I'm not going to tell your story, but what you described to me, pretty much you were small, so you got yourself bigger. And for me, I was the other end. I was fat, and I got myself lean. And going through that kind of transformation and being able to physically witness, hey, if I just invest a little bit into myself, results are going to happen. That, I, like we talked about earlier, that self-investment, that self-whatever. But a lot of people, that journey, including me, started with going to the gym, realizing I'm looking at my fucking body and I don't like what I fucking see. And not liking what I see makes me feel like I don't like what I see. And therefore, I feel like I don't like myself. Those actions of not liking myself or now just persist in like, I'm just going to hit snooze. I'm just going to eat an extra breakfast. I'm going to do this. And it's just one small little thought. Sometimes it's just like you said, one self glimpse. And I don't like that. And that, oh, that, that, that's it. But if you're, if let's say you're now training and trying to be better, you're starting to see results. So, you know what? Other people might see as, oh, this guy's still fat, but what you have progressed from and what you've seen from like that transformation in and of itself. And that's why when you're going through any of these kind of physical transformations, I always recommend hiring a coach, especially a confidence coach as such as yourself, because the external factors of people or towards people that start making these changes is so taxing because we live in the society that feels this need to judge everybody for what they're doing. And this judgment always comes from self-projection. And if we really look at it with, you know, obesity and overweightness being 70% of the population and not doing anything about their respective situation, odds are, if you're someone that decides to make that physical transformation for yourself, you're going to talk to someone that's in that 70% range and they're going to completely discourage you from actually going after it. And then when you start making your changes, you start projecting that, that, those feelings. And I feel like, you know, in my experience, when I work with people, that's what I work with more than anything else is not only their external factors, but how that external factors influence them into that aspect. Is there anything else you want to add to that real quickly or anything that comes no, to mind for you? You covered, you covered most of the, the gist of that. And I think that's, that's great. And, you know, thank you for sharing that. I really, I really am aligned with that. And I, I think like we talked about, man, your environment is, is so key and it, you have to surround yourself with the people that are uplifting you and that are positively talking about your goals. And mm -hmm. it's your responsibility and your fucking job to be aware of the cancers in your life. Ooh. Absolutely. Your responsibility. If, if you don't know why you can't achieve your goals, that's when you really need to stop and look at yourself and, and think about who am I constantly allowing into my head? Mm -hmm. What am I constantly allowing into my head? Yeah. 
that that's no, bro. You see that? That just like fell off. I was like, oh my god, that's what I get for. I was like, are you? Gonna, I was like, is Alan gonna get mad right now? Let me see. No, 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 no. That's hilarious. Um, uh, sorry, what were we? You were saying about the external? I was just saying it's just you know one of those things that you have to really be mindful and aware of the cancers in your life and what you're oh. allowing to your subconscious mind. Right. Because that is one of the reasons why you have this negative self-talk, why you feel self-defeated, why you're self-sabotaging yourself, because everybody else is sabotaging you and saying you can't do it. Right. And and let me let me add on to that, because you made a point to me in one of the conversations we've had about identifying the cancers in your life. And and sometimes we really tell ourselves it's everybody else that's doing it, the external factors. But sometimes, and what I realized about myself was the inner thoughts of your surroundings, the inner thoughts of your environment. Because sometimes it's actually not them that's doing anything. It's you're getting yourself upset over the thought of them. Like, for example, one of the things with my roommates I had the biggest issue with was just washing fucking pans. Like every time they'd fucking cook something, they wouldn't wash the pan. And I'm about to use it. I got to fucking wash it. And yeah, persistently after a while, it gets annoying, but my emotional response would get more and more aggravated every single time. And it's all because I didn't work on why the fuck I allowed it to make me aggravated in the first place. And I realized every successive action that happened with that, it wasn't the fact that they were pissing me off, is I kept pissing myself off over that thought. So Brandon, I really do want to thank you for that. It's been one of the biggest changes um for me on that and and realizing that sometimes the poisons and the cancers that we're speaking of are just ourselves and our own thoughts that's why right. it is very very important to dwell on what the fuck you are thinking why and how is that affecting your subconscious as you alluded to earlier right right i love that i love that no. and that goes to that whole situation and mostly every situation, you know, go, I'm going to go back to that book, The Four Agreements. The third agreement is don't take things personal. When somebody projects something onto you, when somebody mm -hmm. says something you don't like, don't take it personal. It's not about you. It's never about you. It's always about them. I was in a situation yesterday at work where I asked one of my good coworkers, a really good friend of mine, you know, hey, you know, he's like, oh, I haven't been really working out. And I'm like, hey, let me know if you want to go with me. I'll help motivate you back up. You know, like, you want to come with me tomorrow? And he was like, uh, no. And then there was like, you know, this group that started laughing and, and sort of made some comments. And I was just like, I'm not taking that personal, you know? And they were, mm. they were, they were, they were comments where I could have been valid to, to feel a certain way because there was a lot of, um, you know, negative tones and, and just, negative body language that came with it. And I said, it's a projection. Mm. Projection of themselves. I'm not taking it personal. I will not let somebody else disrupt my peace. Mm. I love that. Yeah. You should never allow someone to control your emotions for sure. And you definitely harped on something real, real quick where it, they said something and it provoked you to feel a certain way. And a lot of people are provoked to sometimes say something back to fight back or something. Well, this day and age, not really, because we have a bunch of social justice warriors, not actual people that will confront things. Sorry yeah. for another time. But you have an opportunity to create a million different actions. And what's crazy about that is you're completely justified in every single one of them. Even if it's to the point where, hey, this guy fucking decided to look at my shoelace wrong. So where I grew up, I punched him in the face. And if that's how you were raised, that's actually correct. But right. it, you know, that's, that's why you got to constantly reflect on, man, what is it that I really want from the situation is although I'm provoked emotionally, like if I respond in lieu of that emotion, is that going to actually work out? And it takes practice, it takes constant evolving, constant everything just kind of like working out, you tear the muscle every single day and it rebuilds itself up. Like that's what we do with our emotional intelligence. Um, last, last but not least, all this, Brandon, we spoke all of this about self-investment, making your highest version of yourself, life coaching, working with others, inspiring everybody else, which just, I got to ask, Brandon, why are you doing all of this? What is it to you? 
there's there's a couple things that come to my mind. The first one is I've always felt some sort of higher purpose, some sort of, you know, there's a lot of people that experience this, and I'm sure you've experienced this as well, where you just feel like you're destined for more. You feel like you're you're set up for greatness. And I have been questioning a lot of the decisions in my life and a lot of the actions I've made as far as, you know, the hard drugs and, and being in that that sort of, I guess you can say lifestyle. And I've come down to the conclusion that the experiences that I've experienced and the hardship and the adversity I've been through and the, and the, you know, the fear that I continue to confront is all for me to just give back and to mm. teach and, and to just provide enlightenment. You know, there's this, this term called the Bodhisattva in Buddhism. And a Bodhisattva is somebody that reaches enlightenment in a previous life or reaches Nirvana. And he chooses to stay on earth to help others reach enlightenment. And I really feel like that has been my life purpose is to help other people reach the state of enlightenment that I have. That's number one. And then number two is I actually had just lost a lot of translation in this why. Um, and I just got it back like two weeks ago when I went back to Colorado, you know, because I went through this really, you know, as you know, I went through that really bad breakup in June, not bad, but you know, it was, it was heavy. It was a lot. And it was five years of my life. And after the breakup, I realized I was like, man, I forgot why I'm doing this all. Why am I, why am I killing myself working all the time? Why am I sacrificing all these things? And, and so I took some time off and I went to see my buddy Sean in Arizona solo trip. And then I went to Colorado to visit my family for a week. And I was, as I was in Colorado, it really brought me back to how I grew up and how I, why I've been so driven the past 10 years and why I strive to succeed. You know, my family, like I said, my family comes from Laos, which is an extremely poor country. So their lifestyle of them going from Laos to here in America, they value all these materialistic items so much and it becomes a cluttered house, if you will. And I remember when I was like, you know, 16 to 23, I lived in my mom's basement, but most of the furniture that I had was furniture that my neighbors had left out on the street and labeled free. And also, a lot of the furniture in our house was like that. It was beat up and it was broken. And, you know, it was, it wasn't, it was a new stuff, you know, and I, I learned to appreciate what I had. But also, when it came down to me making my own money, I started trying to meal prep and do these things and realized that I have a house full of people that want to eat too. And I naturally took on that caretaker role and started helping feed my family and help supporting my family and throwing barbecues and stuff like that and, and helping my family live a little bit more of an abundant lifestyle. And so when I went back to Colorado, really, really put me back there and was like, this is why I've been working so hard. This is why I've I wanted to come to Vegas and, and become successful, financially successful, because one day, you know, I want to just go to my mom's house and be like, hey, I'm buying a new house. You can get out of here, right? We don't need to renovate this whole place. Like, let's just let's just go. You know, one day I want to just go up and be like, you want a new car, mom? Like, here, there you go. Right. And it's just like, I want to just give back. You know, I want to give back to the communities that that have loved and supported me, the people that have loved and supported me and living in service is, is one of the most fulfilling things that I have ever chosen to do. Probably the most fulfilling thing I've ever chosen to do. I think that's what I just said, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy, man. It's crazy. I, uh, I, I definitely uh, appreciate that, Brandon. And I appreciate your time. Um, for anybody that's listening real quick, what are some social media handles, emails, contact info? What do you have? 
So my my TikTok is is Brandon.Northstar. And then I have another TikTok account that's North Stars Energy, which is uh, mindful meditations. I have Instagram handle that's North Stars Energy. And then my email contact is Brandon at NorthStarsEnergy.com. I have a website as well. It's NorthStarsEnergy.com. If you guys want to book a consultation or anything like that, I have a pre-filled questionnaire that'll take you to my booking schedule afterwards. And we can talk confidence, man. Absolutely. And that's North Stars Energy, not just Zenergy, as I uh, and I got corrected on real hard on my own podcast within the first 10 seconds. Anyways, um, any closing things, Brandon, anything you want to say last for the guests or for their listeners? You know, all I want to say is one, thank you for having me on this podcast, Alan. I value and love and appreciate all the things that you do on this podcast as far as men's health and mental health in general. It's definitely a topic that nobody speaks on enough. And we're definitely, you know, you're definitely making big strides to create a positive impact in this world. And I, I really appreciate you for that. So keep doing you and, and to anybody else that's listening, like get off your fucking ass and do the damn thing, man. (laughs) Let's go. All right, guys. (laughs) Well, thank you guys. That was Brandon Thamavong, CEO of North Star Zenergy. Brandon, thank you very much for your time. And for everybody else, uh, don't forget to Thank you.